said to him, you've given the right answer, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Over the past six weeks, we've been looking at parables of the kingdom, and now we're shifting to looking at parables of grace. And at at the last section of this series, we're going to be looking at parables of judgment. You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan is maybe one of the, probably the top two most widely known parables, maybe the prodigal son and the Good Samaritan are the two most widely known uh, parables. But like um, all of Jesus' parables, that familiarity uh, may cause us to we may need to step back and really peer in or maybe a little bit closer. We hear the phrase Good Samaritan. It's hard to go a week without hearing that phrase. We hear it all the time. Right here in Phoenix, we have a hospital named Good Samaritan Hospital. Um, people are said to be Good Samaritans, and we read this over and over again and hear it in the news. But when we stop now and look at this parable, maybe we need to dig a little deeper, peer in a little closer, and listen a little more carefully. Let's pray. Lord, um, these stories are yours, and we humbly ask now that you would be our teacher and that our hearts would be open to hear the word you'd have us hear. Amen. You know, a few years ago, an astonishing thing happened in New York City. A construction worker named Wesley uh, Autry was standing on a subway platform with his two young daughters ages four and six, and they were waiting on the next subway train to come. Suddenly, another man on the platform, suffering apparently suffering from a seizure, stumbled, fell off of the platform, down onto the subway tracks. And just at that moment, the headlights of a rapidly approaching train appeared in the subway tunnel. And acting quickly and with no thought for himself, Wesley Autry jumped down onto the tracks to rescue the stricken man by dragging him out of the way of the train. But he immediately realized that there wasn't enough time. The train was coming too fast. He wasn't able to push him up or pull him off of the tracks. So Wesley pressed the man into the hollowed out space between the two tracks, put his body over him on top of him to protect him as the train passed over the two of them. The the train cleared Wesley by by mere inches, coming close enough to leave grease marks on his hat. And when the train came to a halt, Wesley called up to the frightened onlookers on the platform, there are two little girls up there, let them know that their daddy is okay. 
Immediately, for good reason, Wesley Autry became a national hero, right? People were deeply moved by his selflessness. They marveled at his bravery. The headline in one newspaper described Wesley Autry in biblical terms. It read, Good Samaritan Saves Man on Subway Trains. I don't know about you, but when I read stories like that, I, I, I wonder in my mind, I, I think, you know, I think about this. I'm like, would, would I have been that brave? Would I, what would I have done? Would I have been as courageous as Wesley? Would I have what it takes to jump down on those tracks with a train coming in with my two young children standing next to me and help that man? In other words, would I have been a good Samaritan to that man that day? Do I have what it takes? Could I have done it? Now, I think many people read this parable or they think about this parable with this question in mind, thinking that Jesus wants us to ask this question and to ponder. That's why he told the parable in the first place. Do you have what it takes? You need to be a good Samaritan. Can you do it? But I wonder, maybe we need to look a little closer. Jesus told this story, and we're told that a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. But I, I actually think it's a pretty fair question. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? That's a pretty deep question. And, and if you're like me, that resonates in a pretty deep place in our hearts and our minds. I, I'd like a ready answer to that, would you not? Just tell me what I got to do. I really would like to have eternal life. I, I really do. I want this. I think we all would love to have eternal life. What do I need to do? I think it's a fair question. I think it's kind of a human question. So he asked Jesus, what do I got to do? And Jesus said, well, what's in the Bible? What does the Bible have to say about it? How do you interpret it? And the man said that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, with all your passion and intelligence and that you love your neighbor as yourself. He quoted scripture to Jesus. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it, and you'll live. But now we come to verse 29. That wasn't good enough for this man. It says that he wanted to justify himself. I think this is actually the key phrasing and the key verse in this parable. This lawyer the biblical answer wasn't enough. He wanted to justify himself. And so he asked a further question. Well, then, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered by telling the story. There once was a man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. In a couple of weeks, I'll be with a group of folks from our church in the Holy Land, and we're going to have the opportunity to travel on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a steep downhill road. Back in Jesus' day, it would have had many twists and turns, switchbacks. It was the perfect place for robbers to hide out, to catch people, to jump them. People would have known this in Jesus' day. They would have understood this. When Jesus said the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, they would have gone, oh, that's a tough road. We know that. And on the way, this man was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, went off leaving him half dead. But luckily, good news, a pastor was on his way down the same road. But when he saw the man bloody and on 
beaten up and stripped on the side of the road. He walked on the other side of the road, passed him by. Then Jesus said, a a Levite came by. Now, Levite, we might translate this as a uh, seminary professor. This was someone, an expert in the law. He knew the Bible. So a seminary professor walked by. Good news. And now a seminary professor, he knows. Jesus says, he too moved to the other side, walked by. Now, there may be a little bit more going on here. These religious people, these pastor and scholar, might have thought, well, I can't be near that. That's maybe a dead body, and if I touch that, I'm unclean, and then I can't do my job. And so there might have been some ritualistic things going on with this. (coughs) People might have thought that when they heard this original story. But then Jesus does and says in this story something so shocking. But then a Samaritan came by. Samaritans and Jews did not like each other at all. This was an enemy. This was someone who was seen with, looked at as with contempt. They would have had nothing to do with each other. But Jesus said, a Samaritan came by. And people hearing this story would have went, oh, didn't see that coming. Like, But the Samaritan picked the man up, gave him water, bandaged his wounds, took him to an inn, carried him on his donkey and said to the innkeeper, Here's some money. Take care of him. I'll come back in a couple days, check in on him, and pay any expense that you need. And having told this story, Jesus now turns to this lawyer. So now, define the term neighbor. Who, provide, who, who proved to be the neighbor in my story, Jesus says. Now, this lawyer cannot even bring himself to spit out the word Samaritan. He can't even say the word. He simply mumbles, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Now, how do we read that? And how do we hear that command, go and do likewise? Does that mean that we all need to do what Wesley Autry did? Does that mean that we all need to, right now, leaving this place and this time, selfless, completely risky, dangerous, costly things? Should we be jumping down off subway subway platforms? Because I don't know about you, but that's really not in my nature. It's not in my nature to forget myself completely and risk everything for a stranger. It seems too hard. And if we're honest, let's be honest. Sometimes it's seemingly too hard to forgive that family member after all the hurt they caused. It's simply too outrageous to give that person the benefit of the doubt because I know their views. I know what they think. Who's my neighbor? And yet I hear Jesus say, go and do likewise. So maybe the question we need to ask is, where do I get the motivation and power to do this? I mean, how am I going to be motivated to love like this? See people who I don't like to see as neighbor as neighbor. How am I going to get the, what's going to motivate me to love like this, to do this? Well, there's a couple of ways we might be motivated. Two possible ways, one of which is inadequate and one of which is all adequate. One which is completely insufficient, 
and one which is sufficient. The first ways you can try and motivate people is by uh, kind of a, we can either do it, we do it through morality. We, we can do that through secular means or religious means. For example, the secular version of this goes like this. Uh, well, you're an enlightened person. We're living in an enlightened age. You're a decent person. You're a civic-minded person. You, you need to be concerned for the poor, and you need to vote for policies that help them, and um, you need to give of yourself. You need to volunteer you should uh, give to charity. You should help with all these things, of course. Be concerned for the poor and then every one of your neighbor. That's kind of the secular version. Um, the religious version of this is, well, the Bible says so. And so the, you ought to care for the poor because the Bible tells us to. They're your neighbor. The Quran commands this. Uh, the Torah, the Old Testament commands this. There's not a single religion in the world that I know of that doesn't put a lot of emphasis upon helping the poor um, but this messaging, whether secular or religious, both basically will motivate through guilt. That's the motivator. How is guilt as a motivator? How does feeling guilty motivate? Is it effective? Because some people read the parable that way. Oh, I feel guilty. I'm not a good enough good Samaritan. I um, have a habit on Sunday afternoons, and I'll do this this afternoon. I'll, I'll read through the text of what I'm going to preach on next Sunday. And then on Monday mornings, I usually load up into my phone a couple Bible studies. for So for next week's parable, I'll load those up because I want to hear what people say about the language and different things. And then I'll go on a long walk on Monday morning. I'll probably do this tomorrow morning. And so last Monday, I did this. I loaded up some things with a Good Samaritan. I was listening to them. And I, we live on these dirt roads up in Cave Creek. And I'm going on a glorious walk. And I'm hearing about them talk about the priest and the, the Levite who passed by on the other side. And I was walking on this side of the road. And on the other side of the road, there was a man working. He had a pile, a big pile of thorny leaves, a big pile. And down the way, there was a dumpster. And his job, apparently, because I watched him do this a couple of times, was gather these thorny leaves Walk down, it's getting pretty hot today at this time, put him into the dumpster and then walk back. I see the job he's doing. So I'm walking and I say to him, he's coming towards me, I say to him, good morning. He doesn't respond. He looks miserable. I mean, he just looked really sad. And he didn't even say good morning back. Can you believe that? I mean, he didn't even say good morning to me. So I thought, oh, geez, he's in a bad mood. So I started walking a little bit more, and I started thinking about this. I'm listening to the parable of the Good Samaritan in my headphones. I keep walking, and I thought, you know, that poor guy, he, he needs some help. I mean, that, that company, that's, they need to give him a helper. He needs someone to help him do this job. I mean, that's just crazy. He shouldn't be out here alone doing this. No wonder he's miserable. He's got nobody to help him. Nothing's occurring to me at this point. I just keep walking, keep walking. I kept thinking about this, going, why did that guy, I mean, I would be miserable too if I had to do that job. And, and then I got home, and it occurred to me. He needed help. <laughs> I could have helped. I didn't. And I started to feel really guilty, really guilty. But then you start rationalizing. You think, yeah, but I was listening to, for the Bible study for the church, and that was really important that I do that, and I have that ready for the church in my, my sermon. You start kind of justifying this, and then you feel guilty again and feel guilty. It served no purpose, the guilt. 
It didn't help the man, me feeling guilty. Don't you love it when people say to you, but when you do something or something happens, they say, well, did you at least feel guilty? <laughs> I mean, what does that mean? Did you at least, like there's some value in feeling guilty. Did you at least feel guilty about that? There's no value in that. Guilt is a really a, not a good, effective motivator at all. I, I, there's a YouTube video. You can find this online. It went viral a while back. There's a church. It looks like a really wealthy suburban church. The pastor one Sunday dressed up in really good costume as a homeless person. He had a shopping cart, and he arrived at church. No one recognized him, and he planted himself right in front of the door on the entrance into the worship sanctuary. Unbeknownst to the parishioners of the church, he had secret cameras placed all around because he wanted to see how is my congregation going to react and act and treat this homeless person sitting on the front as they walk into worship. How's it going to be? Two weeks later, he arrived into the pulpit and he was wearing the same garb. And then he started taking off the beard and the hat and people gasped and they went, oh, that was the pastor. And then he started to preach to them about how are we doing? Let's check in on how are we treating the poor? Are we doing good enough? And they showed the video of what happened. And they showed how some people walked right by him into church. And then he started preaching about we need to do better. We can do better. And then they showed some people who stopped and helped. Somebody came over and gave him some food. Someone gave him, read him the Bible. And some people invited him into worship. Some laid their hands and prayed for him. And he talked about, you know, how this is how we ought to be. Now, I don't know about you. By the way, we will never do this here at this church. I promise you we will never do this. I didn't like this one bit. I thought it was really, really bad form. Because the whole enterprise of this was to help people see and make them who didn't stop feel guilty. And if I'm watching this video and I didn't stop and I'm watching myself and the whole church watch me walk by, I'm thinking, oh, the motivation here is guilt. Here, here's the thing. In Jesus' kingdom, guilt is not to be found. It's not to be found. Earlier in the service, we prayed for his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We want what's up there to come down here. And if it's not up there, we shouldn't have it down here. See, the problem with that video and that pastor is it would turn people to say, boy, I feel guilty. But they would be measuring themselves against their neighbor. You see, when this man tests Jesus, he wanted to justify himself. What he was really doing was saying to Jesus, tell me, am I doing enough, meaning am I doing more than my, these other people are doing so that I can feel good about myself in measure with them? See, this is where guilt leads. It leads to bad cul-de-sacs. It leads to dead-end streets. It ends up not loving the neighbor. I'm rooting against the neighbor. I want them to fall down and not help the way I help so that I will be justified, so that I will be the one who gets to heaven, so that it's based upon me and what I do. That's where guilt leads. Guilt, it, using guilt as a motivator 
it, it's like putting um, unleaded gas you'd put in your car into a, in a, into a jet. You, you might be able to turn the jet on, but it would, I mean, guilt might have some small measure of, you know, it might move you to do something here or there, but it, it won't get you to fly. It won't get you up in the air. It doesn't have lasting power. In fact, it ends up at the end doing more harm than good. This parable is not meant to be read by going, you're not doing enough. If you're feeling guilty by reading this parable or hearing it, stop. That's not the goal here. So if it's not guilt, what is it? How are we going to get motivated to love and to care? Jesus says, go and do likewise. What's going to motivate us? I think part of the key is to look at this story and ask ourselves, where do you place yourself in the story? I mean, we've, we've done this already in this series on parables. I mean, you could read this story and say, well, actually, honestly, I'm kind of like that pastor. I don't like to get involved. I moved on the other side. Or I'm like the Levite. I can see myself in that, yeah. You might say, well, you know what I am? I'm, I'm, I, I'm, a, the, I'm the innkeeper. I, I did a little bit. You know, I, I let the guy stay in my inn and... And I, you know, I had to say, okay, I, I like helping from a distance, not too close, but I'm kind of like the innkeeper. You might say, well, I am the good Samaritan. Me, look at me. I, I always do selfless acts all the time. I'm really good, and I see myself. Jesus, that's me, yes. I doubt many of us take that position. The only place to really see ourselves in this parable we're going to place ourselves in the story. We are the guy on the ground, the man or the woman, helpless, wounded, sick, and sore. The only thing we can do is cry out for help. Then the question becomes, who can help me? I think about, in Jesus' story, this man who was robbed and beaten when the pastor walked by, he probably cried out, help me, help me, help me, nothing. When the Levi came by, he cried out, would you please help me? He just kept walking. But Jesus is the good Samaritan. When we cry out, he comes, picks us up, heals us, bandages us, carries us. Grace. It's all grace. It's all his doing. And if we push it a little bit further, we must also admit, why are we bruised and broken? Why do we need to cry out for help? It's our fault. We turned our backs on God. We, we sinned. We said, no, I can do it myself. I think about the man sitting in his room in the inn. A Samaritan picked me up and took me and cared for me. Can you believe that? A Samaritan. He did all that for me. Why? Why? He saved my life. See, that's the moment when grace starts to become a fuel. That's the moment when grace starts to burn in our engines. 
That's the moment when we become just so grateful. When Wesley Autry jumped down to that subway tracks, everybody cheered and the nation said, well done, well done, and clapped and applauded. The headlines in the paper said, good Samaritan, he's a, he's a hero, he's wonderful. When Jesus leaves his father's house, his heavenly throne, when he leaves the other side of the road and comes all the way to rescue you and me, when we can't help ourselves to forgive us, and then, oh, by the way, not only bind us up, bring us to health, but then take our place as the one who is wounded for us. When he makes that move, all heaven starts cheering. The heavenly chorus erupts in applause, and they say, well done. And they all start singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We sang that earlier. You see, people who know this truth, people who know this truth deep down that we are so needy and wounded and broken, but Jesus stands ready to come and heal us. Then you're ready. Then I'm ready to hear him say, now, go and do likewise. Let us pray. Father, your grace is astounding, it's surprising, it's glorious, it is wonderful. Help us to live out of that reality. All of life is a gift because you've given it to us. And then, Lord, give us the courage to be so, so grateful and then give. Love our neighbors. Love those who don't expect it or don't deserve it in surprising, wonderful, grace-filled ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to um, recognize a, a couple people, and I want you to be aware of a couple people in our midst who you know well, but uh, we want to do something a little special. So I'm going to invite Jackie Huber to come up and Jake Baldwin. Um, Jackie has been studying in seminary, and she is uh, being um, bestowed a title by our denomination. That is, she has become a CLP. Presbyterians love acronyms. We love acronyms. CLP stands for Commissioned Lay Pastor. What that means in our midst is that Jackie is, our denomination has said she has had great pastoral skills. That means that she gets to preach every week. She'll be preaching every week henceforward, right? <laughs> Why not? I think that's a great idea. Uh, but she may help with... Oh, <laughs> no, 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 not, not fair. Um, <laughs> help with communion, pastoral calling. But we, we just wanted to, our denominations recognize, we want you to know that, that she has pastoral skills in our midst, and God has given that. And Jake is our pastoral intern for this year, maybe also next year, meaning he is studying in seminary. And you're going to see, Jake might visit you in the hospital room, and he may be helping in different ways. He's going to be leading our youth ministry, but he's also here training, learning how to be a pastor. Isn't that wonderful? So we're really blessed. We want the congregation to know about Jackie and Jake. Yeah. <laughs> pastor Bruce is going to pray for, for both as we uh, commission them. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for Jackie and Jake and for the many gifts that you have given to them and their desire to serve you in these ways.
Lord, we pray that uh, you would bless them as they minister among us, that we would learn from them and grow closer to you, and that they would glow, grow closer to you through these forms of service. Lord, we thank you and ask you to bless their lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Hey, let's stand together. We're going to affirm our faith. In response to the word today, we're going to say what we believe together. We say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.